Our Father, we come to you this morning asking us, asking you that you would help us to be conscious of our own defects, our own sins and our own failings. Father, I pray that as we learn how to preach, that our preaching would leave sinners inexcusable before the righteous God in his holy word. Father, I pray that this evening you would give Pastor Seth and I great freedom as we open up the scriptures. We pray that you would awaken the attention of those who have come this evening to hear the word of God and to hear how to open the text and how to explain it. Father, I pray that you would help us to be refreshed by the word of God, that our hearts would be melted and convicted and comforted. I pray that as we teach that our argumentation would be strong, And that it would be centered and anchored in the text of scripture. Father we pray that as those who are still coming tonight would have safety. And those who were not able to attend you would strengthen their bodies. We pray that we would build each other up this evening as brothers and sisters in Christ. And we ask these things in Jesus name. Amen. There is no greater task in all the world than preaching. As we look through the scriptures, we can see that everything centered on preaching. John the Baptist preceded the Lord Jesus Christ with preaching, Matthew 3, 1. The wicked people of Nineveh came to repentance. Through preaching, Matthew 12. Jesus went throughout the land of Galilee preaching, Mark 1. When the disciples left Jesus, they were sent out preaching in Luke 9. The early church, the Bible says, every day and in every place, they did not cease Preaching, Acts 5. Paul said that how can they hear without preaching? And Paul even said in 1 Corinthians 9.16, Woe unto me if I preach not the gospel. And even that old King James phrase still has not been changed in the majority of biblical translations. Woe unto me. That is... Damnation upon me, disaster upon me, hardship upon me, if I preach not the gospel. I gave you some handouts today. Much of this introduction is not on there, but I'll let you know when we get to the notes. Listen to these words of John Bunyan. Now you remember John Bunyan, right? From our church history class. Here's John Bunyan. It's 1660. He's had many years, five, six years of freedom of preaching. And then as he's proclaiming the word of God, the wicked 
leaders of that day charged him with preaching without a license. He's thrown in jail for 12 and a half years where he made his living making shoelaces and writing prolifically some of the greatest books the world has ever seen. But John Bunyan was a preacher. When he was asked what he would do if he were released from prison, remember, he has a wife, he has a family, he has many children. His oldest child, Mary, was blind. He had a great, deep affection for her. His people at his church loved him. And when he was asked what he would do if he was released from prison, he responded thus. If I was out of prison today, I would preach the gospel again tomorrow by the help of God. Preaching is the greatest task. Ask the Apostle Paul, ask Jesus Christ, ask the disciples, ask the prophets. Preaching, preaching, preaching is the great task that God has given to some men in history. And some of you might be preparing to preach as your vocation. And some of you, you're going to be preaching in your homes at family worship. Or you're going to be preaching to your co-workers. Or you're going to be preaching as a lay elder in your church. And you need to learn how to prepare sermons. That's what this class is about. It's about preaching. John Bunyan's heart was like a burning fire. He loved to preach. He wrote this. It was for the word and way of God that I was in this condition. And I was engaged not to flinch a hair's breadth from it. It was my duty to stand to his word. Whether he would ever look upon me or no. Or save me at the last Wherefore, thought I, I will leap off the ladder, even blindfold into eternity, sink or swim, come heaven, come hell, Lord Jesus, if thou wilt catch me, do it. If not, I will venture for thy name. That's the way he was converted. Here's Bunyan. He heard the word of God preached. He saw Jesus Christ crucified and he said, I'll come to you and then I'll preach your holy word. Last week, we learned in our first lecture, at least my first lecture, in the soldier mnemonic device, the S stood for what? Select. How do I select my passage? Well, let me begin by asking a, a question and see how you do. We learned from Jobs, that is just one book sermon. We argued from that, that although books are important, and I hope that the testimony of Pastor Seth and I would yield, lead people to say, these men love books. Their lives revolve around reading books that help them understand the greatest book. We're not opposed to Books, we love books and we encourage people to read. However, we're arguing from just one book sermons that the emphasis in sermon preparation, 
the early emphasis ought to be on the scripture itself. It ought to center heavily on observation and meditation upon the text first. So suppose someone came up to you and they said, I don't agree with that. I think in sermon preparation you should have books surrounding you early on in the sermon preparation process, early on, late in the process, go to other men's thoughts, go to commentaries. What is this about putting so much emphasis on just one book preparation? How would you answer that objection? According to what we learned last week, specifically in the early illustrations, boys, how would you answer that objection? Someone said, I don't agree with that. Why do you want to have just one book sermons? How would you answer that? Based on our illustration. Well, how about Whitfield and Bunyan? Whitfield and Bunyan were two of our early illustrations. They were the precedent. They were the history. They were, here's maybe the greatest preacher of all time, George Whitfield. George Whitfield said, I prepared sermons with three books. My English Bible, my Greek New Testament, and Matthew Henry's commentary. And I studied on my knees in front of my Bible, and I prayed over every sentence. I think that's a great argument. Or John Bunyan, who said, my whole library was... Basically, my Bible and my concordance. So I would say a first good argument would be precedent. Precedent means there are people who have preceded me who are great preachers who did that very same thing. <coughs> Let me give another reason. I would say priority. We have time constraints, right? How many times have you started a sermon and then you realized time is short? How many times have you planned to study for a sermon and then you realized I don't have as much time as I thought I would? What this does by putting so much emphasis on meditation on the text, observing the text, praying over the text, that you put the priority on the word. And then later on, if you have time, great, let's go to other books. We gave three ways to choose our passage. Can you remember what those three ways were? Three ways to select the passage. Here you are. You're supposed to preach next week. You're supposed to preach next month. How do I even begin by choosing the passage? Nathan, give me the first one. Okay, that's the second one. That's right. But let's, let's go in sequence here. What would be the first way to select the passage. You remember? Just in sequence. Yeah. Sequential, we would call it sequential, verse by verse. And the reason why we put sequential on the front is because theoretically you could go verse by verse in Luke 12 and then the next sermon you go back to Mark 1. The idea of sequential is we are following a sequence. And if you want your sermons to be consequential, 
we learn that probably the best example would be sequential verse-by-verse preaching. And we gave some benefits of that. Can you remember some of the benefits of sequential verse-by-verse expositional preaching? Exposit means to, just like an exit, to take out what is already in the text. Caleb, give me one. Text from hobby horse preaching. Okay, so that means I love preaching about X, but if you're preaching through a passage, you don't get to choose what you're going to preach on. Someone else. One of the benefits. You don't have to struggle to select the passage. Yeah, it takes away the search process. Someone else. I gave five. Caleb? It ensures that you give the full counsel of God. Yeah. Let me put it this way. No searching. You get no blame from other people from focusing on a passage just for them. Um, you don't get out of the context because you're building it each week. You don't have hobby horse preaching. And you don't have imbalance because ultimately in the end you're going to preach the whole counsel of God. So that would be sequential verse by verse. Second way, Nathan gave us already, spirit led and oftentimes when we hear spirit-led, at least myself, I get a little suspicious. What does that mean? Because I don't think that's necessarily wrong. In this context, especially in the prosperity context, we've had many people come to us and say, Hey, I choose my sermon based on Sunday morning. I just, just before I get up to preach, the Spirit's going to say, I want, you to preach. I want you to preach on that. Who needs to prepare? That's what the Holy Spirit's for. When I say spirit-led... I mean, as you're reading through the scriptures throughout the week and something strikes you, that's the passage that you'll preach on. Hey, if you're preaching a lot throughout the week, I think this is a great method maybe for one of those times that you're preaching. If you're the anvil, bear, and if you're the hammer, right. So that means if you're reading through a passage and something, something strikes you, uh, then use your hammer and strike with that particular sermon. Uh, yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll move on from this and I'll, I'll give an example uh, after this. What's the third one? Need-based. Need-based is basically what I do at Tiani on Sundays. What, do, what does our early church plant in Tiani really need a lot? It needs the gospel. So every Sunday, one of us preaches on a gospel passage, and we just give gospel, gospel, gospel. Now, that will have to end sometimes. They're going to need more than just that kind of food. But I think there is a place for that kind of need-based preaching. All right, we used the word pericope, last word, a long, odd, unusual word. But why do we use the word pericope? Do you remember? It comes from two Greek words, Lloyd. You say he's cutting around. Yeah, to cut around, right. So you've got the cow. You don't want to eat the cow all at once. You're going to have to cut around it. And it's the same thing with Scripture. You can't force feed them a whole chapter or a book. So you're going to choose that pericope or that passage. You're going to cut around it so that they can handle it. And we learned where we ought to cut that particular passage. And I gave you several examples those markers that will help you to know where to cut. Headings, section headings, one complete thought, and then looking for conjunctions. 
All right, well, with that introduction, let's go to our notes today. It's lecture two. How do I observe my passage? This would be the second step. So we begin with select the passage, and next we're going to go to observe the passage. And so we're going to start out with a story that might help us learn how to observe the passage. We'll ask some questions about it later. We'll go through the notes, and then we'll close with George Whitfield's sermons and see if we can learn some ideas about observation. Let me read the first paragraph, and then we'll go over to Lloyd and Reginald, and we'll work around the class. A story about observation. One day, Letabo went to visit his grandfather's farm. Letabo was preparing to leave soon for the university to study science. He would stay with his grandfather that summer before enrolling at school. Letabo's grandfather was a very wise man. There was nothing he understood better than African animals. Come, Letabo, his grandfather said. I have something to show you. Buddy Lloyd? They walked toward the veld. There on the floor of the crowd was a sick African buffalo. The dark beast was enormous, but it lay silently on the ground, breathing slowly. His grandfather spoke. We call this animal by its Latin name, Sincaras. Sincaras Kappa, or Nyai in Tsonga. Observe this buffalo very well. After some time, I will return and ask you what you have seen. You may touch the animal, but do not startle He is very sick with that his grandfather left. Okay, so here we have Letabo. His grandfather's very wise with animals. He's observing this sick African buffalo. He says, observe it, but don't touch it. Or don't startle it. Next, Buddy Reg. Letabo was disappointed. Before studying science at school, he wanted his grandfather to teach him many things about cows, zebra, baboons, kudu, wild dogs, goats, and elephants. Instead, Letabo sat alone with the sick animal. Okay, so here's Letabo. Sit down and observe the animal. Hey, I'm here to do stuff. I'm smart. I'm intelligent. I want to get stuff done. And you're telling me just to stare at this sick cow. Keep going. After 10 minutes, he had seen all that he could see in the buffalo. He began to search for his grandfather. He was gone. After overlooking some of the farm, Litavo returned and sat beside the buffalo. He touched it here and there. There was nothing more to see. A half an hour passed, an hour, another hour. Litavo now hated the looks of the sick animal. He left for lunch. He returned. Another hour passed. Then a happy idea came to him. He would draw the buffalo. 
To his surprise, he began to discover new details about the animal. Just then, Mitabo's grandfather returned. Okay, so he's getting tired. Look, I see the buffalo. What more do I need to see? It's over 10 minutes. He's walking around. He looks a little bit more. And then he says, what if I took up my pencil and I drew the buffalo? Borinico, keep going. Oh, well done. I consider the best eyes. And then he did not study the animal. Tell me some details of the buffalo. Chow told him anything that they had learned. The dark brown skin color, the white spikes around his eyes, the barrel skin, the chest, the sweaty legs, the massive head, the curve of the horns. The young man was expecting praise from his grandfather. Said, instead, the old man said, You have not looked carefully enough. You, are not, you have not even spotted the most obvious feature of this buffalo. It is right with your eyes. Look at him. Look at him. Then his grandfather walked away. Hey, he had made some really important observations of the buffalo. He thought he was going to be praised. He didn't get praised at all. The grandfather said, Look again, you're missing the most obvious facts. Mufundis. The tower's anger. How could he look any more to him? Anymore at this sickly beast. Then he began to notice some new features. One by one they came, and soon the sun was beginning to set. The old man returned. Did you see yet? The tower shook his head. No. But I'm beginning to see how little I noticed before. Good. Now let us eat and rest before you look at the animal again tomorrow. I want to, I want, I want to, I want you to think about it tonight. I will ask you details before you observe it again. Latabo was frustrated. Now I must spend the night thinking about a buffalo I cannot see and remember all the details I wrote without observing my notes. My memory is bad. I will surely disappoint my grandfather tomorrow. So Latabo sat up many hours that night thinking about what? The animal. What do we call that? Meditation. We call that meditation. I'm thinking about this particular thing. I've drawn it. I've looked at it. I've read it. But now I'm meditating upon it. I'm thinking upon it. The next morning, the old man said, Did you see it? And Letavo replied, Do you mean the droopy ears with the long hairs on the edges? His grandfather smiled. Yes! Then he told the boy how important those hairs are to the animal. Now, said the old man, look again. After an hour, he returned. Letabo had more details, but it was not enough for his grandfather. For three more days, Letabo was not allowed to look at anything else but the buffalo. Look, 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 were the constant words from the old man. This lesson that the old man taught his grandson was more valuable than anything he would learn at school. 
He could not buy this wisdom with silver or gold. At the end of the summer, Letaba left his grandfather's farm for the university. He was sad that he could not look at the buffalo anymore. He had made thousands of observations about the animal during the months he was there. It was a lesson he would not forget for the rest of his life. Now, let's ask some questions about the story. What was the lesson that the grandfather was trying to teach Letal? What was the lesson that the grandfather was trying to teach Letal? Teaching him to observe the details from the buffalo. Yes, yes. Any others? That's overarching. Any other lessons? He wanted to teach him that the buffalo is symmetrical, like the most important feature of okay. the ears. Someone else? Lessons that the grandfather was trying to teach. And this is important because that's what this whole preaching course is about, or at least this particular lesson. Yes, sir. That it takes time to get to all the details. Right. Patience. Right? Hey, he was, so, he was so quick to give up. I know it's got four legs. Like, what else do you need to know? Two eyes. Mr. Reggie. Uh, I would have to say focus. Focus. Okay. Why was Leitavo frustrated in the beginning? Lawson. Okay. I think he thought he knew better about the buffalo. Yes. He thought he knew more than he actually did. And even when his grandfather said, did you see the most important thing? Letabo said, no, but I have noticed that there's a lot of things about the buffalo that I had not seen before. How does this story apply to preaching. How does this story apply to preaching and observing the biblical passage? Audrey? That way you were prepared for a sermon, you have to meditate, you have to focus, and it's going to be patience, and you just have to really look into the details. Okay, the buffalo is a picture of what? What is the buffalo a picture of? The Word of God, the text, the passage. Letabo, he's, he's a picture of whom? Me. The preacher. You, when you're studying for that passage, you are Letabo. And you are Letabo when you have your <coughs> smartphone next to you and you're breezing through the passage. And you said, hey, I know this about the Sermon on the Mount. I know about Jesus feeding the 5,000. I'll pull out a few facts here. And now your phone buzzes off and you go to check that and you come back and you find another one. But the focus and the concentration and the time and the patience and the observation that is needed in sermon preparation is immense. And we are taught this lesson by Letabo. 
Question number four, how does this show that early sermon preparation is important? Please don't make my daughter answer these questions, man. Audrey, thank you. I will answer that. Uh, answer you in a moment. But let's get some other hands. Caleb? Um, <clears throat> because beforehand, you have to be able to study to know all the facts. If you don't study beforehand, you're not going to be able to say any observations to tell them. Okay. Okay. Mm-hmm. Others? Audrey? Yeah, there, there's something to be said for the water needs time to seep down to the bottom, right? So we just built a retaining wall at our church, and we built a slope up against the wall because all the water comes down the hill, and I was prepared for that. And I said, I'm going to make a slope so that when the water comes, it's going to be pushed away from the wall. But the problem was, I put a lot of loose soil. It wasn't rock, it wasn't coarse. So when the water sat on that soil, it just wore away and it seeped and it seeped and it seeped and all the way to the bottom. Now, thankfully, we put some little pipes at the bottom of the wall and it was able to leak out. But it took several days until that water was able to seep, 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 seep down until it went to the drain. That's the way the Word of God is. We're not going to be able to make those observations right away, but if we open up our passages, let's say, early on Monday or on Tuesday, at least we look at the text and maybe we read it a few times. Maybe we're not doing full sermon preparation right away, but we're just reading the passage and now when we're driving in our car, we're just thinking about it. We're thinking about that buffalo. We're thinking the way the sun came on it that one time. We're thinking about the different directions of the buffalo and the different sides. And I just noticed this particular thing while I was falling to sleep. And I noticed that, that word in that passage is very significant. And I've been thinking about that word since Monday. And it only came to me on Saturday. Three ways. To observe your passage. So this is the second mark. As we're preparing our sermons. We want to select the passage. And now today we're going to talk about O. Which is observing the passage. Let's give three ways to observe the passage. Number one. Read. Read your passage Over and over again until it becomes a part of your soul. Read the passage. Uh, Gregory, uh, Seven Laws of Teaching, says that there are different levels of understanding. And he said the first level of understanding is memorization. He said, this is what a lot of teachers do. It's cheap. This is bad teaching. It's important. We ought to memorize. But this is what we do. We come to the book. We cram all the facts in our head as quickly as we can. We memorize it for an hour so we can quickly put it down on the paper. And then it's gone in an hour. Now that first stage has some importance to it. But it's the the worst. Because the next stage would be 
thought. And then after that, it would be argumentation. And then after that, we're able to apply the passage. We're able to meditate upon it. So that's why we're reading it over and over and over again to make it a part of our soul. Now, this will take time. So don't rush. Uh, MacArthur has said that when he starts preaching through a, a new book, he reads that book over and over, the whole book over and over and over again to get an understanding of the flow. For you, it might be that particular passage. So this will take time, don't rush. Number two, this will take concentration. Don't be distracted. Uh, oftentimes, we, all, we talk about protecting our time. But I think we need a little shift there. It's not only important that we protect our time, we ought to protect our concentration. What good is it if we protect our time, but we're distracted the whole time? So protect your concentration. Find a quiet room. Tell your spouse, I cannot be bothered for the next two hours. Put noise-deadening earphones in your ears if you have to. Put earmuffs over your ears if you have to. Whatever you did, it needs to be a dark room or whatever. Let there be zero distractions. Isn't that the way we are? I mean, we can get distracted by a bug on the wall. We could be distracted by the curtains. We can be distracted by the way the light comes through that window. This will take concentration. So don't be distracted. Focus. Stay in the word. Third, this will take precision. Don't ignore the details. This will take planning. Don't start at the last minute or ignore reading the whole book first. So plan ahead. I like it sometimes when preachers say, now next week we're going to be covering this. Or when I hear a preacher say, now in this passage right here, you'll notice this word, and I'm just going to briefly explain it, but we're going to get to the full meaning of this two weeks from now. I say, that guy's been planning. That guy's been thinking ahead. He knows, hey, we're just going to pause on this right here. We're going to focus on this particular verse, and there's going to be several things in this passage that we just don't have time to cover But don't worry, we're going to get to it. That tells me he's been thinking ahead. He's planning. He's reading. That's the way we need to be. Observe the passage. Fifth, this will take spirit illumination. Don't have unconfessed sin. So, the first way to observe the passage. Read it. How to read it? Read it by taking time. Read it with concentration. Read it with precision. Read it with planning. And read it with spirit illumination. Second way. Okay, so now you have your passage. You're in Mark 1 1. You're gonna go through verse 8. You've decided that you're gonna do sequential verse by verse preaching. You found the pericope, the the uh, conjunctions and the one thought and the headings have helped you find this particular passage in Mark. And now you're going to go to it and you're going to observe it. You're going to look at it. The first thing you're going to do is you're going to just read it over and over and over again. And you're focused and you're not distracted. Second, now you're going to start to write things down. Now I'm going to give a little hat tip to Jerry Solani Maleke. He is one of the members at our church and he, he inspired me with this book right here. This is a little black eight rand manuscript book. I used to see him walk all over the place with these books. And what I used to do is 
I, I, at least for me, and I think many people are this way, I cannot study in front of a, a computer and write. I have, to, I have to write things down with my hand. And I scribble it down, I write quickly, and we were just mentioning this on the drive here, because my children are taking a writing course right now, and the teacher said, write quickly, and it doesn't have to be neat. And I said, I can type so quickly, but my handwriting, I get restless, so I'll often just write half of a word, and halfway through the word, I'm already tired of writing it, and so I just stop. So if I come to the word fellowship, I'll just write fellow and I'll stop there. And I'll just, I'll just start writing out thoughts. Well, I used to do this on pieces of paper, random pieces of paper. And I would take an old printed piece of paper like this that wasn't used anymore. I'd fold it in half. I'd cut it in half. I'd just have these folded pieces of paper. But then I'd have these papers all over the place. So now everything, all my writing with journaling or... Writing for sermon notes or notes that need to go, uh, things I need to pick up in town. I just put it all in one book. And now I've got just stacks of these things. And now I know why Solani has these stacks. It helps me. I have my sheet of paper and I sit in front of the text and I just start writing thoughts. Whatever comes to my mind, I just write, 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 write. Draw arrows, draw stars. I can move it over here. I can be sloppy. Write, write, write. Write, read your passage with a pen in hand and jot down thoughts. Underline, mark, circle important words. Look for key words. So that means don't only write on a piece of paper, but write in your Bible. Look for repeating words. Look for theological words. Look for pronouns like he or she. If you're in a particular passage, you might circle leaven in verse 1. I'd put down the example passage below for you, and without color, it's not that obvious, but I just took a little section from Logos, from Luke 12, 1 through 7, and I had lots of color, colorful underlines and circles and arrows you can see there. You might want to circle leaven because you're not quite sure what that word leaven means. That's okay. As you're writing down in your notebook, just write down leaven, question mark. What does that mean? Or it might bring to mind a cross-reference and you write down that cross-reference next to it. You may underline in the meantime in verse 1 and draw an arrow back to verses 53 and 54 of chapter 11 to connect the context. That thought just came to your mind. You may highlight the word fear each time you see it in verses 4 through 7. And you can see that in the example below. I highlighted the word fear. Just as you're reading through, you say, oh, that's interesting. You find the word fear, fear, fear over over and over again. I wonder if that's some kind of theme in the passage. So, first of all, read. Second, write. Third, ask. Write down questions you have from the text. Here are some examples. This Again, this would be from Luke 12. What is happening up to this point? Who is there? Why were so many people rushing to see Jesus? What is leaven? And what does it have to do with hypocrisy and the Pharisees? 
What is hypocrisy and what else is it found, where else is it found in Luke? Who is speaking in verse 4? Why are we not to fear in verse 4, but we are to fear in verse 5? A good preacher anticipates his listeners' questions. We see that with the Apostle Paul, especially in the book of Romans. What shall we say then? Should we continue in sin that grace would abound? Paul knows, ah, some people are going to think this way when I say that. So I'm going to anticipate their question and I'm going to answer it before they can ask me. John MacArthur says, I know I'm done with my sermon preparation when I've answered every question that I can possibly throw at the passage. So he just keeps on throwing question after question after question at the passage. So he feels as though he's a kind of expert on that passage. So that no matter what they ask him, he's going to know how to answer that. And much of your sermon content is basically going to be answering the questions that you ask to the text. So if you say, I don't even know where to begin. I hear a preacher. He's preaching for 40 minutes. I feel like after five minutes, I would be out of material. If you feel that way, ask as many questions as you can to the passage, right? I mean, we all know how to ask questions, right? Well, we, we may, might not know how to answer them, but at least we can say, I don't know, I don't know, I don't know. So say, I don't know, 25 times to that passage, and then try to answer them. And you're going to be amazed at how much material you're going to have at the end. These questions are very important because the answers will help form much of the sermon. Try to answer these at this stage in the study process. Even if you don't have a thorough grasp yet, still write. Doodle. Do you know that word? Doodle is just kind of scratching. It's not necessarily words. It might be a picture. It might be an arrow. It might be a star. It might be an underline. Put down your thoughts as fast as they come. It is often best to use pen and paper to write down these down rather than doing this step on the computer. Now, I don't want to force everyone to be just like me because you might find it works very well for you in front of a computer, but computers have so many distracting functions because you're on your computer and then the email comes in. You're on a computer and I find that when I type, I want to type precisely. It's difficult for me to type with spelling errors. So now I find that even though I'm supposed to just be throwing things down, I'm, I, I'm typing precisely and it slows down this early process. So that's why I just write and then in the end I end up typing out what I wrote. A pen in hand allows you to write down thoughts more quickly. Listen to what John Piper says. Take two hours to ask 10 questions of Galatians 2.20 and you will gain 100 times the insight you have attained by reading 30 pages of the New Testament or any other book. Slow down. Query, and query means question. Gregory, in his book on teaching, again says that we ought to ask these questions. Who, what, how, where, when, by whom, and what of it? So, ask the text questions. 
So, underneath question, the um, observation passage, three ways to observe the passage, and they are what? Let's repeat them. What's the first one, Caleb? What's the first way to observe the passage? Read and reread the passage. Right. Don't read. Number two would be, Lloyd? Right. Uh, right. Okay. Correct. And then number three would be? Ask. Ask. Right. And then, letter B, persevere. Persevere. Don't quit after your first round of collecting all the details of the passage. So here you are on Monday, Tuesday, or Wednesday. You got an hour or two with your passage. You got your notebook. You're just writing down as many thoughts as you can. And now... After an hour, you got three or four pages, and you asked a bunch of questions. You haven't answered those questions. Maybe only 10% of them you've answered. That's okay. Now you come back the next time and keep on writing. Martin Luther said, first I shake the whole apple tree. Then the ripest might fall. Then I climb the tree and shake each limb, and then each branch, and then each twig, and then I look under each leaf. That's the idea. Maybe on Tuesday, you're just going to shake the tree itself. But don't stop there. Because there's still lots of oranges up on that tree. And now you climb up it on Wednesday and you shake that branch. But maybe on Saturday, as you're getting ready, or even on Sunday morning, as you're going through again, you look under that leaf and what do you find? Another orange that you did not one of the main reasons for boring preaching is that the preacher hasn't thought long enough about the passage. He doesn't have insight. Insight takes time. There's another one here. He's giving the people what everyone can see on the surface. You must persevere in finding details about the passage that cannot be found in just a few minutes. Now, cars are boring if you see them daily. And I know because my boys are all excited about cars now that have four exhaust pipes coming out the, in the back. And we're driving to Tiani and they say, four pipe, four pipe, four pipe. Well, that's interesting to them because most cars don't have four pipes coming out the back. Cars are exciting when you see them rarely. Meals are boring if you can eat them daily. And I stole Seth's meal this evening before I came and lectured. And it is because, though my wife is a brilliant cook... That particular meal, she's never made before. And I've got to tell you, I'm so happy right now. I was just happy coming to this lecture. Meals are exciting if you eat them rarely. People are boring if you greet them daily. People are exciting if you greet them rarely. Think how much more exciting you would be if President Ramaphosa came today. But when you saw me, I ate a ball. Sermons, in the same way, are boring if you hear the same truths. Sermons are exciting 
if you hear from the truth and you hear new truths and you hear insightful truths. Uh, we might think it's amazing that John MacArthur has preached through the entire New Testament verse by verse. And that is amazing. What I find amazing is now he's starting over again. And I don't think, I, I don't think he's going to finish until he's about 105 years old. If he keeps up this pace. So now he's preaching through the entire book of whatever, Mark, again. Which means he's going to have to preach the same book to the same congregation. But you can do that if you're always finding new gems from the same passage. So what I'd like to do right now is to do a little exercise. Take your Bibles, and I'd like to turn to the most well-known passage in all of Scripture. At least, my opinion, this is the most well-known verse by the world, at least, probably even more than John 3.16. And that would be Matthew 7.1. Perhaps the most well-known passage. I think it's only 10 words. Matthew 7.1. Judge not. Everyone knows this. Judge not that you be not judged. Seven words. Only seven words. So right now, I'd like you to take one minute and write down as many observations as you can about this buffalo in Matthew 7, verse 1. You can just turn your paper around. You can find a notebook. Go to Matthew 7, 1. Judge not that you be not judged. 